Chapter Twenty One of Esther Reed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Esther Reed by Pansy. Chapter Twenty One. Tested. Esther was winding the last smooth coil of hair around her head when Sadie opened her eyes the next morning. My, she said. Do you know, Esther, it is perfectly delightful to me to lie here and look at you, and remember that I shall not be responsible for those cakes this morning. They shall want a pint of soda added to them for all that I shall need to know or care. Esther laughed. You will surely have your pantry well stocked with soda, she said gaily. It seems to have made a very strong impression on your mind. But the greeting had chimed with her previous thoughts and sounded pleasant to her. She had come home to be the helper. Her mother and Sadie should feel and realize after this how very much of a helper she could be. That very day should be the commencement of her old, new life. It was baking day, her detestation heretofore, her pleasure now. No more useful day could be chosen. How she could dispatch the pies and cakes and biscuits, to say nothing of the wonderful loaves of bread. She smiled brightly on her young sister as she realized in a measure the weight of care which she was about to lift from her shoulders, and by the time she was ready for the duties of the day, she had lived over in imagination the entire routine of duties connected with that busy, useful, happy day. She went out from her little clothes-press wrapped in armor, the pantry and the kitchen were to be her battlefield, and the whole host of old temptations and trials were there to be met and vanquished. So Esther planned, and yet it so happened that she did not once enter the kitchen during all that long busy day, and Sadie's young shoulders bore more of the hundred little burdens of life that Saturday than they had ever felt before. Descending the stairs, Esther met Dr. Van Anden for the first time since her return. He greeted her with a hurried good morning, quite as if he had seen her only the day before, and at once pressed her into service. "'Miss Esther, will you go to Mr. Holland immediately? I cannot find your mother. Send Mrs. Holland from the room. She excites him. Tell her I say she must come immediately to the sitting-room. I wish to see her. Give Mr. Holland a half-teaspoonful of the mixture in the wine-glass every ten minutes, and on no account leave him until I return, which will be as soon as possible.' And seeming to be certain that his directions would be followed, the doctor vanished." For only about a quarter of a minute did Esther stand irresolute. Dr. Van Anden's tone and manner were full of his usual authority, a habit with him which had always annoyed her. She shrank with a feeling amounting almost to terror from a dark, quiet room and the position of nurse. Her base of operations, according to her own arrangements, had been the light, airy kitchen where she felt herself needed at this very moment. But one can think of several things in a quarter of a minute. Esther had very lately taken up the habit of securing one Bible verse as part of her armor to go with her through the day. On this particular morning the verse was, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Now if her hands had found work waiting for her down this first flight of stairs instead of down two, as she had planned, what was that to her? Esther turned and went swiftly to the sick-room, dispatched the almost frantic wife according to the doctor's peremptory orders, gave the mixture as directed, waited patiently for the doctor's return, only to hear herself installed as head nurse for the day, given just time enough to take a very hurried second-table meal with Sadie, listen to her half-pitiful, half-comic complainings, 
and learned that her mother was down with sick headache. So it was that this first day at home drew toward its closing, and not one single thing that Esther had planned to do, and do so well, had she been able to accomplish. It had been very hard to sit patiently there and watch the low breathings of that almost motionless man on the bed before her, to rouse him at set intervals sufficiently to pour some mixture down his unwilling lips, to fan him occasionally, and that was all. It had been hard, but Esther had not chafed under it. She had recognized the necessity. No nurse could be found, her mother sick, and the young, frightened, as well as worn-out wife, not to be trusted. Clearly she was at the post of duty. So as the red sun peeped in a good night from a little corner of the closed curtain, it found Esther not angry, but very sad. Such a weary day! And this man on the bed was dying. Both doctors had looked at each other at least a dozen times that day. How her life of late was being mixed up with death! She had just passed through one sharp lesson, and here at the threshold awaited another. Different from that last, though, oh, very different! and herein lay some of her sadness. Mr. Foster had said, everything was ready for the long journey, even should there be no return. Then she went back for a minute to the look of glory on that marble face, and heard again that wonderful sentence, So he giveth his beloved sleep. But this man here, everything had not been made ready by him, so at least she feared. Yet she was conscious, professed Christian though she had been, living in the same house with him for so many years, that she knew very little about him. She had seen much of him, had talked much with him, but she had never mentioned to him the name of Christ, the name after which she called herself. The sun sank lower, it was almost gone. This weary day was nearly done, and very sad and heavy-hearted felt this young watcher. The day begun in brightness was closing in gloom. It was not at all so clear a path as she had thought, there were some things that she could not undo. Those days of opportunity in which she might at least have invited this man to Jesus were gone. It seemed altogether probable that there would never come another. There was a little rustle of drapery about the bed, and she turned suddenly to meet the great searching eyes of the sick man bent full upon her. Then he spoke in low but wonderfully distinct and solemn tones, and the words he slowly uttered were yet more startling. Am I going to die? Oh, what was Esther to say? How those great bright eyes searched her soul. Looking into them, feeling the awful solemnity of the question, she could not answer no, and it seemed almost equally impossible to tell him yes. So the silence was unbroken while she trembled in every nerve and felt her face blanch before the continued gaze of those mournful eyes. At length the silence seemed to answer him, for he turned his head suddenly from her, and half buried it in the pillow, and neither spoke nor moved. That awful silence, that moment of opportunity, perhaps the last of earth for him, perhaps it was given to her to speak to him the last words that he would ever hear from mortal lips. What could she say? If only she knew how, only had words. Yet something must be said." Then there came to Esther one of those marked Bible verses which had of late grown so precious, and her voice, low and clear, filled the blank in the room. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. No sound from the quiet figure on the bed. She could not even tell if he had heard, yet perhaps he might, and so she gathered them, a little string of wondrous pearls, and let them fall with soft and gentle cadence from her lips. 
Commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. The Lord is nigh unto all them that call upon him, the Lord is gracious and full of compassion. Thus saith the Lord your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, I, even I, am he that blotteth out thy transgressions for mine own sake, and will not remember thy sins. Look unto me, and be ye saved, all ye ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is none else. Incline your ear, and come unto me, hear, and your soul shall live. Silence for a moment, and then Esther repeated, in tones that were full of sweetness, that one little verse, which had become the embodiment to her of all that was tender and soothing and wonderful. What time I am afraid I will trust in thee. Was this man, moving toward the very verge of the river, afraid? Esther did not know, was not to know whether these gracious invitations from the Redeemer of the world had fallen once more on unheeding ears or not. For with a little sigh, born partly of relief and partly of sorrow, that the opportunity was gone, she turned to meet Dr. Van Anden, and was sent for a few moments out into the light and glory of the departing day to catch a bit of its freshness. It was as the last midnight stroke of that long, long day was being given, that they were gathered about the dying bed. Sadie was there, solemn and awe-stricken. Mrs. Reed had arisen from her couch of suffering, and nerved herself to be a support to the poor young wife. Dr. Douglas, at the side of the sick man, kept anxious watch over the fluttering pulse. Esther, on the other side, looked on in helpless pity, and other friends of the Hollands were grouped about the room. So they watched and waited for the swift downcoming of the angel of death, the death-damp had gathered on his brow, the pulse seemed but a faint tremble now and then, and those whose eyes were used to death thought that his lips would never frame mortal sound again, when suddenly the eyelids raised, and Mr. Holland, fixing a steady gaze upon the eyes bent on him from the foot of the bed, whither Esther had slipped to make more room for her mother and Mrs. Holland, said, in a clear, distinct tone, one unmistakable word, Pray! Will Esther ever forget the start of terror which thrilled her frame as she felt that look and heard that word? She cast a quick, frightened glance around her of inquiry and appeal, but her mother and herself were the only ones present whom she had reason to think ever prayed. Could she, would she, that gentle, timid, shrinking mother? But Mrs. Reed was supporting the now almost fainting form of Mrs. Holland, and giving anxious attention to her. He says pray, Sadie murmured, in low, frightened tones. Oh, where is Dr. Van Anden? Esther knew he had been called in great haste to the house across the way, and ere he could return, this waiting spirit might be gone, gone without a word of prayer. Would Esther want to die so, with no voice to cry for her to that listening Savior? But then no human being had ever heard her pray. Could she? Must she? Oh, for Dr. Van Anden, a Christian doctor! Oh, if that infidel stood anywhere but there, with his steady hand clasping the fluttering pulse, with his cool, calm eyes bent curiously on her. But Mr. Holland was dying. Perhaps the everlasting arms were not underneath him. And at this fearful thought, Esther dropped upon her knees, giving utterance to her deepest need in the first uttered words, O oh, Holy Spirit, teach me just what to say. Her mother, listening with startled senses as the familiar voice fell on her ear, could but think that that petition was answered, and Esther felt it in her very soul. Dr. Douglas, her mother, Sadie, all of them were as nothing. There was only this dying man and Christ, 
and she pleading that the passing soul might be met even now by the angel of the covenant. There were those in the room who never forgot that prayer of Esther's. Dr. Van Anden, entering hastily, paused midway in the room, taking in the scene in an instant of time, and then was on his knees, uniting his silent petitions with hers. So fervent and persistent was the cry for help, that even the sobs of the stricken wife were hushed in awe, and only the watching doctor, with his finger on the pulse, knew when the last fluttering beat died out, and the death angel pressed his triumphant seal on pallid lip and brow. Dr. Van Anden, Esther said, as they stood together for a moment the next morning, waiting in the chamber of death for Mrs. Reed's directions, was, did he, with the inclination of her head toward the silent occupant of the couch, did he ever think he was a Christian? The doctor bent on her a grave, sad look and slowly shook his head. Oh, doctor, you cannot think that he... And Esther stopped, with her face blanching with the fearfulness of her thought. Shall not the judge of the earth do right? That was the doctor's solemn answer. After a moment he added, Perhaps that one eagerly spoken word, pray, said as much to the ears of him whose thoughts are not as our thoughts, as did that old-time petition, Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Esther never forgot that, and the following day, while the corpse of one whom she had known so well lay in the house, and when she followed him to the quiet grave, and watched the red and yellow autumn leaves flutter down around his coffin, dead leaves, dead flowers, dead hopes, death everywhere, not just a going up higher as Mr. Foster's death had been. This was solemn and inexorable death. More than ever she felt how impossible it was to call back the days that had slipped away while she slept, and to do their neglected duties. She had come for this, full of hope, and now one of those whom she had met many times each day for years, and never said Jesus to, was at this moment being lowered into his narrow house, and, though God had graciously given her an inch of time and strength to use it, it was as nothing compared with those wasted years, and she could never know, at least never until the call came for her, whether or not at the eleventh hour this poor man cried and the Lord heard him and received him into paradise. Dr. Van Anden moved around to where she was standing, with tightly clasped hands and colorless lips. He had been watching her, and this was what he said. Esther, shall you and I ever stand again beside a new-made grave, receiving one whom we have known ever so slightly, and have to settle with our consciences and our Savior, because we have not invited that one to come to Jesus? And Esther answered with firmly drawn lips, As that Savior hears me, and will help me, never. End of chapter 21 Recording by Tricia G.